Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, Michael Kingswood here and it's story time. Lots of good stuff happening lately. I'm a little late this week because I've been moving. Uh, decided to sell the place because we made a lot of money on it and a few other things that we won't go into. And get into a smaller place to downsize. And so that's taking a bit of time. I'm just now recording, and that's all right. As you can see, you probably have been noticing I'm a little scruffy and disheveled. That's kind of on purpose. You know, I did the Navy, get retired from the Navy, do the obligatory beard, but I always kept it close. But I was like, yeah, I wonder what will happen if I grow it out. And I've had the same haircut for more than 20 years. I don't even own a hairbrush. And the last time I let the hair grow out was you know, back in high school. I was like, eh. Let's see what happens if we grow it out. And obviously, I was expecting the afro because I always have one. I, the greatest American hero look is <laughs> what I grew up relating to. But my daughter's like, Daddy, you should grow your hair long. How long? Down to here. It's like, um, okay, we'll see how that works out. Um, some days <laughs> I'm looking in the mirror and like, no, must get rid of it all. And other days I'm like, yeah, let's see how I keep going. It's been uh, two and a half months now and we'll... We'll see what goes from there. But anyway, that's what's new in the Kingswood abode. Uh, we'll get back into the story, uh, which is passing in the night. When last we left our hero, Carlton, and his captain, they had just detected the mysterious ship tumbling through space ahead of them. And Carlton didn't know what to do. Captain went off to do take care of some good things and uh, told Carlton to watch and wait and not let everybody else know what's going on. So we'll see what happens next. Enjoy! Passing in the Night, Prelude to the Pericles Conspiracy. Written by me, read by me, and as usual, I apologize for that. Part 2. For the next 45 minutes, Carlton watched the strange ship draw nearer. As it grew in the display, he made out more details. Strange markings, letters of some kind, he thought, but in no language he had ever seen, decorated the hull in a number of places. The hull was breached. Twin cuts, perfectly parallel and framed by dark scorch marks, tore across the vessel's port side. Gases of some variety or other vented to space through the cuts, slowly increasing the ship's rate of rotation. Whatever happened to that ship, it had occurred recently. True to her word, the captain returned to the bridge. As she floated up to the pilot's console, Carlton noticed she had a spiral-bound stack of paper tucked under her arm. Paper? Carlton hadn't seen a paper document since... Well, come to think on it, he had never seen a paper document. He had heard of people who kept paper books in libraries, collectors and the like, but he did not have that kind of money, nor did anyone he knew. Any change, Carl? No, but take a look at this. Carlton tapped the screen, pausing the image as the twin cuts on the vessel's hull rotated into view. Those looked like plasma burns to me. The captain pursed her lips, nodding in agreement. 
She leaned forward a bit, peering intently at the image on the screen. As she did, the papers under her arm shifted a bit, and Carlton saw Top Secret, Captain's Eyes Only, written at the top of the title page. What's so secret, Captain? She pulled back, covering the pages up with her free hand for a heartbeat. Then, seeing the knowing look in Carlton's eyes, she sighed and withdrew the papers from under her arm. These are procedures to follow in the event a Starliner should encounter evidence of intelligent extraterrestrial life. Carlton's eyebrow twitched upward, but before he could say a word, the captain wagged a finger at him. You never saw these papers, Carl, understand? It's both our asses otherwise. Come on, captain, what are they gonna... She leaned forward, a fierce light in her eyes. I'm not screwing around, Carl. We could both disappear if we mess this up. She tapped her finger at the bottom of the title page, drawing Carl's eye. His protest died on his lips when he saw the name there. Although officially denied, it was common knowledge that the NSA did just that with inconvenient people. He swallowed, despite the fact that his mouth had just gone dry. All right, so what are we supposed to do? Keep an accurate record of the entire event? Take no provocative actions? Send reports to the government? You're kidding, huh? That's all stuff we were going to do anyway. Well, yeah. Carlton threw up his hands. So what the hell's so top secret about that? The captain smirked. Clearly you've never seen classified documents before. The fact that it deals with ETs is what makes it top secret. She leaned forward, her eyes narrowing as she examined the tumbling ship. Can you zoom in any farther and make this more clear? She pointed at a single blister-like bubble on the dorsal area of the ship. Carlton nodded. He tapped on the image, freezing it in place as the bubble rotated in view again. Then, with a two-fingered spreading gesture, he activated the display's zoom feature. The image took a few seconds to stabilize. When it resolved, the bubble was more clearly visible. A lone light shone from the bubble, dimly illuminating the forward area of the hull. Son of a bitch. It still has power. That changes things, said the captain as she turned toward the communication console. She tapped the console, rousing it from standby, then flipped open her procedure to a page near the back. She frowned, tapping at her lips with an index finger as she read. What are you doing? She began tapping on the console, and a screen that Carlton had never seen before opened up. There are generic communication protocols programmed into the comm system. Peace, friendship, that sort of thing. The procedure states we try to make contact, if possible. A loud snort was Carlton's initial reply. You can't be serious. We don't know what frequencies they use, and the captain interrupted, so we use every frequency we can transmit on. Fine, but you can't really think they'll even understand, even if they receive it. The captain opened her mouth to reply, but he kept on talking. And even if they did, it's pointless anyway. We can't exactly do anything to help them. That much was certain. Pericles carried enough fuel for the initial acceleration, deceleration at the destination star system, and intrasystem maneuvering. They could stop to render assistance to the other craft, but doing so would strand them in the interstellar void, making the gesture worse than useless. The captain knew this as well as he did. Understood. Regardless, we're going to follow procedure. With that, she made one last tap on the communication console, and the antenna status indications lit up across all bands as Pericles began transmitting. She and Carlton both turned their attention to the camera display. They watched intently for any change in the other vessel. Nothing was forthcoming. The vessel continued tumbling, apparently out of control. Carlton checked the time. Ten minutes to CPA. The vessel's bearing rate had picked up considerably. Tracking had shifted to the forward upper camera, but very soon it would be unable to maintain track. The vessel was simply moving too fast and was too close. 
so he directed the aft upper camera toward the vessel's expected departure bearing in order to pick up visual tracking after it passed CPA. Despite his misgivings about the transmission, Carlton felt disappointment at the lack of response. Though mankind had been traveling the stars for centuries and had discovered several dozen life-supporting worlds, the holy grail of meeting an intelligent, sentient alien race had eluded them. There had never been even a hint that anyone else was out there. And after so long, most people gave up on the notion, accepting that humanity was alone, at least in this corner of the galaxy. And now, suddenly, to be confronted with an apparent alien artifact, it was unbelievable. It was exciting and scary. On the display screen, the strange vessel slipped off frame. Lost track due to CPA effect, Captain. Very well. How long to regain on the other side? Carlton tapped the display and it shifted to a 3D relative motion display with the vessel's dead reckoning position plotted out in one-minute increments. Estimated six minutes. Captain moved herself closer to the port side viewing window and looked out and upward toward the other vessel's position. Of course, it was too far away to see with the naked eye, but Carlton understood the need to look. Hey, Carl, how close will that thing pass to Gliza? That computation was more difficult, but it only took a minute or so. About half a parsec. Hard to do a salvage at that distance, if that's what you're thinking. True, but it's worth making the attempt. She turned away from the window and looked at Carlton, her expression one of wonder. Of all the ways to meet, do you have any idea what the odds are of just randomly bumping into them like this? He nodded. To say the odds were astronomical would be an understatement. And ironic. Guess we should buy lottery tickets when we get an alert flashed on the screen. He tapped the dialog window, and the display shifted to the aft upper camera. Carlton was gratified to see the vessel centered in the frame. Okay, reacquired visual track on the aft upper camera. Gain, bearing, and time match predicted. The captain moved back next to Carlton, the better to see the display. Is it just me, or did something change? Carlton frowned, shaking his head. I don't think so. We're looking at a different angle. He stopped mid-sentence as suddenly something broke off from the vessel's ventral section. Apparently spherical, the object shot straight away from the vessel for a few seconds. Then a purple-blue glow appeared on one side of it, and it moved to the right until it disappeared off-frame. What the hell was that? exclaimed the captain. No idea, Captain, tracking in the forward upper camera. Carlton split the camera display and directed the idle camera over. It took several moments to gain the smaller object, but finally it appeared in frame. Carlton zoomed in tight to pull out more details. The object was indeed generally spherical. From its angular size and the mothership's known range, the computer estimated the object's size, 15 meters in diameter. On the near side, he could see a number of protuberances that held what looked like antennas and other sensors. The glow came from nozzles that were just barely visible on the far side of the object. Obviously, that was a propulsion system of some sort. A few circular outlines, possibly hatches, graced the surface of the object, as did more of that strange script. Carlton frowned. It almost looks like a life pod. Where's it going? Captain sounded worried. For that matter, Carlton was beginning to get a sense of nerves, too. They were far away from anything and everything here. There was no place for a life pod to go, except to the Pericles. But they were moving too fast for a life pod to catch up, weren't they? Carlton punched up the tracking subroutine and made a few quick computations. He blinked at the results. That couldn't be right, but doing the computations again yielded the same answer. He cleared his throat. Ah, uh, 
Captain, based on its change in bearing rate, that thing's decelerating at over 10,000 Gs. If it keeps on like this after it stops, it'll match our forward velocity in just a few minutes. The captain's eyebrows climbed high on her forehead. How is that possible? That much force would crush that craft and everyone on it. No lie there, captain, but I've run the numbers twice. How long until it reaches us? Carlton spread his hands helplessly. Depends how fast it gets. We got a couple AU's head start. A few hours, probably. Son of a... A bright flash from the display screen drew their attention once more. The feed from the aft upper camera was whited out for a second while the computer adjusted the camera's gain. When the frame cleared, all that could be seen of the mothership was a rapidly expanding cloud of fragments and heated gas. The vessel had apparently exploded. Carlton whistled appreciatively. Lucky for them, they made it off when they did. Unless they blew the ship up on purpose. Right, why would they do that? The captain rolled her eyes. Think about it, Carl. They're probably more advanced than we are. That's a big advantage. They're not going to want to just hand over their ship with all its technology for us or someone else to reverse engineer. It had been generations since mankind last warred with itself, but still the memories of the intrigues between nation-states were vivid. Kept alive in school as a lesson to the next generation about the foolishness of tribalism and the need to maintain ties between humanity's colonies as close as possible, considering the distances to be traversed. Some organizations, such as the Society for Creative Anachronism, kept the memories alive for entertainment purposes. And, of course, businesses still competed against one another, executing their intrigues, very real, despite their nonviolent nature, in an attempt to gain a competitive edge. So Carl could understand the captain's logic. They made perfect sense when he stopped to think about it. Carlton closed the aft upper camera display and the life pod, if that's what it was, filled the entire screen. Won't be able to keep this quiet when that thing comes knocking, Captain. Don't I know it. The captain exhaled loudly. Ask Allison to come up here, Carl. He blinked in surprise. Say again? Your wife. Have her come up here. Now. She was back into her no-nonsense voice again. Carlton keyed the intercom, and a moment later, Allison answered. You've been up there a while. Everything okay? Yeah. Can you come up? She didn't answer for several seconds. When she did, she sounded worried. What's wrong, honey? Nothing. Just come up, please. The connection closed, and Carlton and the captain floated in silence, watching the camera display. Carlton used the time to compute the life pod's predicted course and was not surprised to find it on an intercept trajectory. By the time Allison arrived on the bridge, it had completely stopped its motion away from Pericles and was beginning to accelerate toward them. All right, Carl, what's going on? What is that? Allison floated up next to him and the captain, her jaw hanging open, as she looked at the life pod on the camera display. The captain answered in a matter-of-fact tone. E.T.'s coming to visit. Allison spluttered in shock. Carl, pull up the recording of the ship. Aye, Captain. Allison leaned closer to the display as the video from earlier came up on the screen. Holy shit, she breathed. That's what we thought, replied the captain. The main ship just detonated, and that life pod is on intercept with us. What can we expect from these creatures? How would I know? Captain rested her hands on her hips and gave Allison a stern look. You're a doctor, a scientist. Make an educated guess. Allison frowned in thought for a moment, then shook her head. It's hard to know where to start with no data. Most of the more highly intelligent creatures we've cataloged are bipedal. They would almost certainly have opposable thumbs if they're able to manufacture tools. Aside from that, who knows? 
The venting gases in the video recording clicked in Carlton's mind. I may be able to help with that, hon, just a sec. He stilled the image again and selected the area around the gas cloud, then keyed the spectrographic analyzer. Although the algorithm was optimized to analyze stellar composition and other natural phenomena, absorption and emission lines were the same everywhere. Maybe it could tell him what the venting gases were. Sure enough, after the computer chewed on the data for a minute or so, the spectral analysis popped up in a dialog window. Okay, looks like oxygen and nitrogen, a fair amount of helium, and carbon dioxide. That could be engine fuel or anything else, Carl. True, Captain, but it's better than nothing. If this is right, it looks like about 25% oxygen, 60% nitrogen, 5% CO2, 7% helium, and the rest trace gases. Allison looked at the numbers and pursed her lips. That CO2 concentration would be deadly for us to breathe. No telling if they could adjust to our lower concentration or not. Normal Earth atmosphere would be like living at high altitude for them, but, but we keep the O2 levels lower than normal to reduce the chance of fires, Carlton finished for her. What effect would breathing 17.5% O2 have on them? Probably about the same as if we were to breathe 13%, hypoxia. So Pericles is a death trap for them. Yeah, but they don't know that, interjected the captain. Better to risk possible death than accept it for certain. All right, Carl, I'm going to need all hands for this. Sound action stations. Aye, Captain. He pressed the first of a quartet of buttons on the starboard side of the pilot station, and the pulsing tones of the ship's general alarm sounded. Then the three of them made their way off the bridge. And the plot thickens. E.T.'s coming calling. We're going to see what happens when he comes to the spaceship. Got to tune in next week. Because that's it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. We've got... Uh, Interesting developments going on here. Uh, we're about halfway through the story. Should be two more episodes and then we'll be done and then move on to the follow-on novel unless, of course, I get the idea to do something else between now and then, which I probably won't, but we'll see. Um, yeah, if you liked it, make sure you subscribe to all your friends and come and uh, join me next week. If you want the story and can't wait to hear what happens, go buy it. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes Noble, Kobo, everywhere else, and of course on my site, the web store is ascendstorytelling.com. You can get there directly from there, or you can go to michaelkingswood.com and click on the little bookstore link and go from there. Uh, one thing I think I told you last week, I don't do Patreon anymore because of political stuff. I hate giving money to political organizations, and they become one by banning people they don't agree with. But I do like the idea of patronage, so I set up my own membership slash subscription thing on my site. You can go to michaelkingswood.com and see the little uh, supporting patronage link, and you can see the kind of deal I was had set up on Patreon, and now I was going to have set up through myself. And hey, I it's better to do it this way anyway, because Patreon took about 10%. With microtransactions, the PayPal subscription fees take about 3%. So hey, or 5% rather. So hey, I get more cash. Don't have to deal with political jackassery. It's on a system that I control, beholden to no one. Why not? So if you like what I'm doing, you've been listening to the podcast forever, watching the videos forever. Man, this guy's fun. Or at least he doesn't suck. If you like throwing a buck or so or a little more each month, who am I to say no? So you can go there and say hi. But obviously no pressure on that. If you'd rather just come back next week, we can uh, do that too. All right. I hope everyone has a good week. Talk to you next time.
Till then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com, where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mail list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music, copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved. <laughs>